Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. I've often thought that maybe it would be nice to know when I was going to die. I mean, Jesus did, right? He knew exactly the time. He knew how. He knew what was going to go down, and he knew the significance of it. But then at the same time, I thought, how heavy of a burden must that have been for him? How crazy hard must that have been for Jesus to be able to say, say, yeah, I'm going to take on not only the abuse and the rejection that I'm about to receive, but I'm going to take on all of that and then also take on a scourging that's going to physically just mutilate my body. And then on top of that, just as a cherry on top, I'm going to take all of your sins too. I can't imagine the weight of that. And I think that that weight would be something that I would quickly shy away from. So when Jesus is in Gethsemane, he says, Father, take this cup away from me if you can, or if you will, but nevertheless, your will, but my will be done. I get it. I understand that. In fact, I would be insistent in that prayer. Lord, no, really, take this cup from me, please. But he did And he knew where he was going. He knew exactly what he was getting into. He knew that as he was walking towards Jerusalem, he was walking to his end. He knew exactly, he knew exactly what it was going to cost. And yet he still carried through. And so as I think about that, I think, how? I mean, how in the world was it that Jesus took on all of this burden and he met it head on? I mean, I would like to think that I have that kind of grit and that kind of grind to just get through it. Yeah, I'm going to do this and this is what God wants. But if I'm real with myself, I know I wouldn't be that kind of guy. So what was it? What was it that enabled Jesus to step into that and to know that the Father was going to take care of it? Well, some people might think, as I used to think, well, of course he was able to do that because he was Jesus. I mean, he was, he was God in the flesh. But yet he was still... 100% flesh. He was 100% human and 100% God. And for you math majors, don't worry about that. I know it doesn't add up. But just, it's, it's the reality of, of who Jesus was. So what made it possible? Well, the easy answer is he's Jesus. But that's not what pushed him through. I don't think that's what pushed him through at all. In fact, I think there was much more of that. And I think the reason why... Jesus had to rely on something else other than just being God in the flesh was because he wanted to make the way possible for us. He was setting an example for us. He was doing this not only for us, but to lead us. And there is a difference. He did it for us, but he was doing it to lead us. So imagine the mixed feelings he had that Sunday as he walked into town or rode into town on the back of a donkey. And all the crowds had gathered around and they were waving palm branches and they were laying them before Jesus as he walked, or not as he walked, as his disciples walked and as he rode the donkey, on the back of the donkey. And some of the men were taking off their cloaks and waving them out and putting them on the the path there. This was full of imagery that shouted a king coming into Jerusalem. So the expectation was that that Jesus was going to be the Jewish king and that he was coming in and this was his processional and he was going straight into the old city of Jerusalem. He was marching in and the crowds were excited. Now, 
Some versions say that it was just the disciples saying this, but other versions say that it was the whole crowd saying, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were waving their cloaks and putting them down and throwing palm branches on the ground. It had all this rich imagery of a king coming into his enthronement. So imagine Jesus experiencing this, but knowing that what the expectation of the people around him was, was way different than what was actually going to go down. They fully expected Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem and that he was going to take over. He was going to kick butt and take names, right? He was, this thing was going down and Jesus was about to make it happen. They thought that Jesus was going to come in and take his full right as, as, uh, as the son of David. Because remember, that's what they said as he was coming into Jerusalem. That he was going to be the son of David. That he was going to be the next in the line of David kings. And he was going to be a great king. Jesus knew that's not what his kingdom was going to be about. He knew that his kingdom didn't come with a coronation, but with a cross. So we're going to look at this passage today that comes from Matthew 27. And we've, we've rushed through the week and we've come to this last final hours of Jesus' life as we look at the passage today. Jesus, not fulfilling the expectations of the people, but fully filling the expectations of the Father is on the way to the cross. He's been rejected. He's been cursed. He's been spat at and slapped and hit. He's been mocked and made fun of. He's been beaten. Now he's been given a cross beam and he carries it out to the edge of town, just to the outskirts at that place where it was far enough out of town or just on the other side of the wall of the town so not everybody had to see it, but everybody could see it if they chose to. It was disgraceful. It was horrible. It was barbaric. And he's nailed to the cross. And then noon comes. Those final three hours must have been horrendous. I can't even begin to imagine the pain, the searing pain of crucifixion, the searing pain of being scourged, the searing pain of trying to labor for breath, the ripping of nails in your flesh. I can't even begin to wrap my mind around it. And yet there he was. And the noon hour comes. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 27. We're going to be looking at verses 45 through 51. Matthew 27, 45 through 51. One more time. Matthew 27, 45 through 51. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. The sixth hour was our noon. The ninth hour then would be 3 p.m. So for three hours, a darkness came over the land. There's this ominous sense that's building up. The clouds are bellowing overhead and filling the sky. And at this point, it was beginning to look dark. We know what that's like here in South Alabama when the afternoon summer thunderstorms roll in. The cloud turns ominous and dark. 
and the clouds hit, sit low and heavy and there's lightning and there's wind and there's rain. We don't have the lightning and the rain, but, but there is this building of dark clouds and it just gets dark over the land for three hours. And then about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, as we talked about this last year, and for those of you who weren't here, who didn't join us last year, you might not know this, that this is actually a quote from the beginning of Psalm 22. And in this quote, he's quoting something that the psalmist writes about this situation of pain and disparity, of separation, and about complete brokenness. My God, my God, why, you, why have you forsaken me? But there's the rest of Psalm 22. And this is where it gets interesting because the psalmist in the rest of Psalm 22 talks about redemption and God saving and God healing and God bringing back into order. It's, it's kind of God sets this stuff right. And so as Jesus is crying this from the cross, I think there's two things going on here. First, he is feeling the separation from his father. He is feeling the weight. The clouds mirror what Jesus is feeling, right? Heavy and laden and dark. I believe that it's at this moment that Jesus really feels the weight of the sin of the world. He feels the weight of the separation from the Father. So he cries out, why have you forsaken me? And I think he really means that as a quote. But then I also think he says it knowing the rest of Psalm 22. I think Jesus from the cross is saying, God, I don't want to go through this, but I'm hanging on here. Why have you forsaken me? That I know the rest of Psalm 22. I'm trusting you. I know how the story is supposed to end. I'm trusting you. I don't know if you've ever been there in your life. I certainly haven't anywhere close to what Jesus has experienced or what some of you have experienced, but there have been times in my life where, where I just knew I just had to trust and let go. I've told the story about my surgeries before, where I had one surgery and there came a point where I just had to release it, and in my mind as I laid in my bed, I said, God, whatever happens, I'm just, I'm trusting you because I can't do this on my own. I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's something desperate and there's something beautiful about those moments. And I think that's what we see here with Jesus. A desperate and beautiful moment where he's standing on the precipice of death. And he knows that there's going to be separation from the Father. And yet as he stands there, he steps into it willingly, knowing that as he takes the next step, even if it doesn't look like there's anything there, God's going to catch him. He knows that the Father's going to be there to catch him. It's like the kid jumping into the swimming pool as the Father says, Come on, jump to me. I got you. And the kid's like, I don't trust you. But the father said, come on and jump. I got you. And then the kid, in that moment of glee, when they leave the earth, and for a split moment, they're in the air, somewhere between earth and water. They feel almost out of control, but there's also that feeling of elation. Because they know that the father does have it. That's, I think, what Jesus felt. That's 
why Jesus could hang on the cross. He could hang on the cross because he knew the ending of Psalm 22. He could hang on the cross because he knew, yes, I'm separated right now. I, Lord, why have you forsaken me? But I know how this psalm ends and I know how this story ends. And so it's his knowledge of what God the Father was going to do that helped him stick it out. Maybe you need to hear that today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you are in your faith, but here's what I can promise. I know the end of the story. And I know if we just muscle through and stick it out and we put our faith in Christ and not in ourselves, if we entrust ourselves to the Father, He's got this. The cross certainly wasn't comfortable. And the cross certainly wasn't easy. And the cross certainly wasn't anything that I want to go through. But the promise is that even through a cross, the Father is there. Even through a cross and death, He has us. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is nothing. There's no height nor depth. There's nothing. There's no power in this world. There's nothing. There's no COVID-19 pandemic. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. So we have the trust. Our faith is that God's hands are there ready to catch us. He's saying, come on and, and jump. And even if it ends badly like it did for Jesus on the cross, I still have you. That's the promise of Psalm 22. That's the cry of dereliction from the cross. When Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? He knows that the end of the story is not the cross, but an empty tomb. And so he trusts himself because he trusts the heart of the Father. Because he trusts the work and the will of the Father. Because he puts his faith in God, not in humans. And not in his human circumstance. Did you hear that? He put his faith in God, not in humans, not in human circumstances, not in anything in this world. So when I ask, how was it that Jesus went through what he went through? It's because of that, because he trusted the Father, not humans or his human connections, not humans or the world, not his human situation, which ended up on a cross. He didn't trust in any of that. No, he trusted in the Father. That's why he was able to go through with it. Verse 47. And some of the bystanders, hearing what he said, this man is calling Elijah because they heard Eli. So they thought maybe he was calling down Elijah. So if you don't know, Elijah was supposed to show up kind of at the end of times. And so they thought, oh my gosh, maybe this is the end of times. Let's see what happens. Is God going to show up? In verse 48, but one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. <laughs> wait, maybe there is something to this story. But then verse 50, and Jesus cried out again. Remember earlier, he shouted. Now he's crying. And this word for cry in the Greek 
means a loud, guttural, painful, almost cry or scream. Ah! Hope that wasn't too loud for you guys if you're watching at home. Ah! And with a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. Now this word yielded is our word for today. Did you happen to get that in there? Afiami. Afiami. That's actually a, shouldn't be an L there. But it's afiami. And it means to yield. To give over. It also can mean in a legal sense. To release. Or to forgive. How interesting is that? That Matthew chooses this word. Of, there's three or four that he could choose that were probably a, a little more fitting to what was actually going on here. But he chose this word because I think Matthew understands what's going on in a theological perspective, right? He yields up his spirit. He gives his spirit away and gives it up. He's putting it back in the hands of God. God, I'm releasing my life to you. It's over. Here I am. I'm giving you, I'm giving you my spirit back. I feel me. But it's also the word to release and to forgive. Not only was he releasing his spirit, he was forgiving our sins. Not only was he giving himself up and yielding himself up, he was also setting us free. He was releasing us and forgiving us all wrapped up at the same time. So Jesus understood, not only, as I said the first point, not only was he trusting the Father, but he knew that the Father's plan was greater and that there was a greater impact if he just followed the Father's plan. So when Jesus yielded himself up, the second reason why he was able to follow through was because he knew God's plan was bigger than him. He trusted the Father and he knew God's plan was bigger than him. Do you see that? That's how he was able to go through it. He trusted the Father, and he knew that his plan was bigger than him. Jesus knew that what God was doing was bigger than him, that it was going to be him yielding himself up, but it was going to end in prisoners being set free from sin and death. Guys, that is the good news. And it's good news not only for us, but for the world. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He gave himself up to set us free, to release us. And in so doing, not only did he make a way for us to be in relationship with the Father, not only did he set us free from our sin, but he also showed us an example. He showed us an example of what a disciple looks like. What it looks like to really follow God is to trust the Father and to know that His plan is bigger than us. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are spiritually. Maybe you needed to be reminded of this. That Jesus died to set you free. That He gave Himself up to set us free from sin and from death and from the consequence and the power of sin. 
So maybe that's what you need to focus on today. Maybe that's where God's speaking to you today. And if that's the case, in just a moment when we pray, I want you to say, God, here I am. Thank you. Thank you. For dying for me and setting me free. But others of you, you've known that for a long time and you've walked in that and that's been a part of the core of who you are. But sometimes you hold things back from God because you haven't entrusted all that stuff to Him all of your life, every aspect of it. And you're holding it back. And for those of you who are followers of Christ, but who are still in this transition of growing in your faith, right? And that's all of us, the side of, of, of death. We're all still growing. We're all still learning. For all of us, then, it means this, that we have to learn to trust the Father because His plan is bigger than us. And if we entrust ourselves to Him, then we become part of His plan. If we hold back, then His plan closes to us. And we lose out. And so the challenge for us who have accepted Christ, whose sins have been forgiven, is, is to release ourselves and to entrust our lives to, to the Father, just like Jesus did, and then allow His plans to be at work in us. But when we hold back, we lose out. So maybe today there's something that you need to release to God and say, God, I entrust this to you. I've been holding it from you for a long time. And God, I want to be a part of your plan. Not my own. How did Jesus make it to the cross? How was it that he stayed there and entrusted? He knew the end of the story. He had faith in the Father and he trusted his plan. We have a Father sitting in the deep end of the pool. Or if you're my height, you can be in the deep end. If you're, if you're not, then you're in the shallow end. We have a father standing there and he's begging us to jump in, to just jump. He's got us. I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you, but I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it, put it into action. Until next week, have a great one.